You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. I'm Johnny Anderson. I'm joined today by Bruce Adams and Marty Foster. We're going to have a rather interesting opening to the uh, the podcast today. We're going to have the discussion. We're going to ask the question, is mask wearing and social distancing about public health, or do you believe it's more about control? We're going to have that discussion. We're also going to talk about the London transport system getting a 1.6 billion pound bailout. Uh, is it needed? Well, we'll talk about that. We'll also discuss the status of Brexit. We haven't heard much about it since the uh, the start of this pandemic. So we're going to get into uh, the latest revelations revolving around Brexit and find out what the status is of that. Well, I'm really anxious to get into this conversation. So without taking any more time, it's good to have you back, Marty. How are you? I'm fine, mate. I'm fine. I've been I've been stacking up some stuff for the last few days since you I'm haven't been too, around. Yeah, I say he's done it again, Bruce. I've done, done it again. Uh-huh. I did it. I did it yesterday too. I was like, uh, um, "How yeah. you doing, Bruce?" Oh. <laughs> right at the end because <laughs> wow. I almost forgot. <laughs> Do you know so. you you you're, you were the most polite person I I think I'd ever met up up to a point, and and now uh, a few months into this. And you're just losing it, man. You're losing it. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's the, 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 the global situation that we find is it, ourselves is in. Is it that? Well, yeah. It's and I, eroding that genteelness that there was about you. You know, there, there's the there's the problem that I have. It's um it's called being an American, and and we have a um we have a streak of defiance in us, don't we, Bruce? I mean, it's just inherent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. we don't take too kindly. When you have a government that continues to tell you what to do. I mean, we can put up with it for a little while, but as soon as it gets to a certain point, we're like, okay, that that's it. You know, you people have uh, have gone far enough. And I think I'm getting close to that point because all this stuff, I mean, we, we just had a nice, good conversation before all this <laughs> um, <laughs> about what we really think about what's going on. I wanted to get over to, uh, to England because, well, the UK, uh, I guess, because um, what's happening in the UK is not all that different from what's happening in here or here where I'm at. And it's not all that different of what's happening in the United States. And that is protests. Now, when I brought this up yeah. to you a couple of days ago, privately, I guess there's not much news about it of what's actually happening. Now, it could have changed. London police arrested 19 people on Saturday because they were protesting social distancing, saying that it has nothing to do with preventing the spread of the virus. But they gathered at a place where you had mentioned previously on one of our uh, podcasts, they gathered at Hyde Park. And they were protesting about the government's responses to the pandemic and had failed to comply with repeated requests to disperse after they were being told many times to do so. So Deputy Assistant Commissioner from the Metropolitan Police said it was disappointing that a relatively small group in Hyde Park came together to protest the regulations in clear breach of the guidance, putting themselves and others at risk of infection. You had people out there holding up signs saying freedom over fear. Uh, I'd rather take a bullet than be a... Yeah, then to be mandated vaccinations. Yeah, okay. And you also had to even Jeremy Corbyn's brother was out there in the midst of all that. You remember that guy, the the guy that used to be around, who was the uh, the labor leader? Yeah, him. His brother. Yeah, was out there uh, in in support of it. You got other people out there waving Union Jacks. I'm a free. I am free. I'm not a number. 
I can't say that I disagree with all this. I'm in support of the fact that these people are standing up for their rights because, at, like I said, at this point, we're stepping on the realms of, of human dignity here. I mean, we're, we're talking about an issue that that we're taking, you know, these steps that we're taking where these masks don't work largely. The social distancing is not about social distancing. The six feet, give me a break. We've talked about that before and the reason for that, but we're basing that on old numbers. And on top of that, we'll go back to this again, because these are important facts that people kind of ignore. They've messed with the testing results. They've messed with the death results. They're reclassifying everything. Now they're saying masking, social distancing. And I'm, I'm saying this for a couple of reasons. One, first and foremost, these things don't work. All right. That's that's proven. Right. And when I say that's proven, New York City, 67 percent of the hospitalized uh, hospitalized cases up there were of people that were at home away from everyone else. So clearly the lockdowns don't work. The social distancing doesn't work. The masks don't work. And on top of that, the uh, the issues that I just mentioned about testing results and death results on, on death certificates, how they're being classified. There isn't a single scientific study that's ever been published that says that these masks do work in this case. So they ha- they're basing this uh, this regulation that and law that they're pushing on people on no scientific evidence, yet we're being lectured that this is science-based. And then to go even further with it, they say that they're doing this all in the name of public safety. This is all about public health. These people don't care about public health. I'm talking about the, the WHO and then their water carriers that they have in these respective governments. They don't care about any of this stuff. And the reason they don't care about any of this stuff is because if they were to care about public health, if they really wanted a healthy populace, they themselves wouldn't even be needed. So if they want all this stuff, yeah, and and now we're hearing about mandatory vaccinations. We're hearing about vaccinations from guys like Bill Gates, guys like uh, Fauci in the U.S., how things aren't going to return to normal. You've got sports that are now starting to come back, but they're coming back with all these stipulations, all these regulations. So it's essentially it's not even the sport anymore. So what's the point? I made that as my closing point last night. But the bigger issue here is, is that You've got states in the United States like Tennessee, which I mentioned here before. You've got states like Georgia that have said nationally and to these, quote, scientific experts, to hell with your social distancing, to hell with your mask wearing. We're going to go about it. We're going to take the jump and we're going to see what happens. And they kick the door open. Everything's reopened. All of it. Life's back to normal. Nothing's been hindered. And do you know what's happening in those states? And please, I I challenge anyone to go and look. What's happening in those states right now? The cases of infected and the cases of deaths are dropping. So why are we continuing to do this? Oh, that a you wanna... drop. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can well, you can respond anytime now. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be that'd be fine. Yeah, yeah, it's going to happen every now and again that we are going to disagree, and this is this is probably one of those times. Whatever got released upon the world from Wuhan is ripping through people. It's still killing. It is still a more deadly virus, as in the way it grips certain parts of society. You know, the the immunocompromised. It even seems to have it in for people of Asian ethnicity. It it seems more harmful to them than it does to um, you know Caucasians. It's still a very dangerous virus, and to stop the spread, I think. For now, the social distancing um, methods of two meters should continue to be observed. And businesses that can operate under those conditions should do so. The masks, I think it's down to the quality of the mask you're wearing. They certainly don't do anything to stop you catching the disease, but they are a physical barrier against you spreading because it's 
water vapour, droplets, in your exhaled breath, bits of spittle, as you pronounce Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers, all of that is stopped by a mask. So tell me what's wrong with continuing to observe two metres distancing and where appropriate, and only where appropriate, wearing a mask. Like I said, I want to see a study that actually says that this is effective and there hasn't been one. That's what I want to see. And, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm before before you before you respond to that, I'd like to also add this. The people that are saying that we should be doing this have been incorrect up to this point about everything, not just about one thing, but about everything. They were wrong about the death rates. They were wrong about the lockdowns being effective. They were wrong about uh, the the numbers of of infected, you know, how, how it was going to spread. The, yeah, none of that's been yeah, none yeah. of that's been the way that it's that it's been predicted, and I understand Look, that science is always evolving. We I know I'm going to have to cut in here. We know that our politicians, and I'm talking globally, our politicians. This is how bad things have got. Are a bunch of ambush predator opportunists, and it does seem like they have hijacked COVID nineteen to get some of their agenda items through under the wire below the radar without us realizing what's going on. But of course, because we pay attention, we do realize that certain things are happening, certain rights and and freedoms, liberties, whatever you want to call them, are slowly being eroded and they're being eroded under the guise of uh, prevention spread of this disease. However, that disease is still there. It's still real. And simple things like keeping two meters distance from strangers or people that, you know, are, are not of your household and wearing a mask to prevent the spread, prevent the spread, not to stop you catching it, but preventing you from spreading it. I don't think it's such bad things. We, we can well, cope with that. It's the other stuff. Yeah, I'm not, is, uh, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing with you that this is a real thing. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not saying it's not dangerous either. I've said that from the start. But the fact is, is that I'm a healthy individual. That's the thing. And you can argue this asymptomatic thing all day long. They could test an eggplant right now with the testing results they've got, and the thing would test positive. That's where they're at with this. So this is why I'm saying that it's lost credibility. Do you know why they've shifted to the medical community when it comes to this? Global politicians, you brought it up. You actually you actually brought it up. Global politicians, we know that they're a bunch of amateur opportunists at this point, and they've lost a lot of credibility globally, right? So why did they shift? They shifted to the medical community because historically, and most people that don't read history wouldn't understand this. Historically, when you shift to the medical community, the people will conform to that because we trust them. We inherently trust them because we see them for life-saving issues. But see, now, whatever credibility that community would have had has evaporated. And so now I don't trust the medical community because they've been wrong. And now they've 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 ripped through our economies. I understand what you're saying. I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I understand what you're saying. But the fact is, is that these measures that we're taking and by keeping people in a state of fear that we're doing, it's devastating what's left of our economies. And if we go into a Great Depression because of it, then we're going to have more deaths on our hands than what we're dealing with right now. And that's not just because of malnutrition and and a virus out there. It'll be other things. It'll be burglaries. It'll be home invasions. It'll be murder. It'll be kidnappings, boss nappings, you name it. It'll be that. And so that's my bigger concern here is by them continuing this, they're fueling 
an opportunity that would otherwise not be there. I made the point. I don't know if you've gone back and listened to it yet. I've made the point for the last two days and I'm seeing it grow. It's not being talked about is you have people coming around now, political parties, extremist political parties that are jumping on board with these groups that are fighting back, saying that they want this stuff to stop and they just want life to go back to normal. Now, you look at historically, these groups will jump on with opportunists. And they'll they'll get involved in these movements like this, and it'll put them in a position of power where they otherwise wouldn't be. This this is an even bigger concern. So you're look, you know, I'm just looking at it from a sense of, hey, look, if these people don't stop what they're doing and they don't let people get back to normal, and we don't take the steps that we need to gain herd immunity to get past this, then we're going to go down another road where we're going to deal with economic depression, and we could see a rise in totalitarianism. That's where I'm at with it. Uh, if I I'm I'm going to interject and take and take a stance kind of in between the two of you. I, I agree with where Johnny's coming from as far as there's no data supporting the the wearing the mask. It does stop, like you were saying, Marty, the blunt, like, you know, the the, the spittle, you know, when you're talking yeah. or something. But because it's not fully sealed, any kind of you know, the humidity in, in the mask that you generate is going to seep out from the sides. And you're still going to be expelling. It's just not going to be as forceful and direct unless, you know, you sneeze or cough, in which case, you know, then it gets shot out the sides. But I, I don't want the government telling me to do that. that. That's my thing. If you decide that for you, you want to wear a mask. OK, I, I'm cool with that. You know, uh, and whether the data supports it or not, I'm, I'm fine with that. Same with social distancing. You know, I've already kind of voiced that I'm for social distancing year round anyway. I would rather not have someone breathing down my neck when I'm waiting in line somewhere or something, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm for that. But the, the problem I have with the social distancing is the mandating of it by these companies and governments and the people going absolutely berserk if somebody's not social distancing properly. You, you squeeze by walking by someone or, or whatever, or you excuse yourself between. I mean, and then the people go nuts because you went too close to them. I mean, this kind of stuff is absolutely absurd and and should not be happening. These are general practices that we can do, you know, on our own if we so choose. I I, I just when it's a government coming in and saying you're going to do this and then we're seeing other things where now the governments are looking at trying to do contact tracing, you know, tracking us through our phones, which we already know they're doing, but it's going to be the government directly doing it. And then on top of we have other states here that are like if you don't lock down in your home, and you refuse to do it, then you're not going to get food or any other medications and that kind of thing. It's not going to be delivered to you. You're going to be under house arrest until you capitulate and agree to the testing and the, you know, I, I don't, I just, it's, it's the mandating that bugs me more so than the, the precautions themselves. No, I, I get where you're coming from, Bruce. And I, and I understand Johnny's perspective as well. I'm confused because I've got this dichotomy. Is that the right word? Two problems at the same time. Um, yes. Corbyn's brother, he's uh-huh. he's as left wing as they come. <laughs> yes, and, he is. That's why it confused yeah. me. <laughs> and there he is protesting against um, the restrictions. He's an opportunist. Again, opportunist. He's yeah. looked at a chance to pick up some support. I don't know. Does he actually stand as an MP? I honestly don't know. I don't um, think he is, does. I, I don't think this is does. unforgivable of me. But he, he's an activist, <laughs> yeah. As yeah, you know, he he is an activist. Um, so the over seventies in the UK, um, the sprightly ones, they're really fed up. They're like seeing this as 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 a direct 
a front to them, the way that the restrictions are and um, the way they've been imposed. And they are conspiracy theory up to the up to their necks. You know, they're, they're seeing this whole thing as a complete global conspiracy to reduce the the population of certain age groups, theirs being the main one. And you can sort of see why they'd think that way. Yes, they're using fear. No, no one's getting it absolutely right. But, you know, the measures that they've put in place, the social distancing does make sense. I saw an example. If one person infects three people, then there are something like 500 infected by the end of a certain time period. But if that one person only infects two, there's like 50 infected. And if they infect 1.2 people, then that infection rate goes down significantly to about six. So building, and we I used this term when we first started to talk about this, when the news first broke, each time we social distance, we're making a mini fire break. And that means the fire can't spread. So Bruce, who just naturally likes to have his own space, he'd be quite happy to continue to do it. The rest of us should be given that choice, and it should be a choice. So this is where I'm falling down on your side of the argument, that it should be a choice, which is just exactly what Bruce said as well, I believe. But, you know, wearing a mask to stop yourself from spreading uh, a potentially hazardous disease, a potentially lethal disease, is a small sacrifice, in my humble opinion. My opinion changes when it gets to that point, because when they get to a point where they're starting to do this now, where they're saying mandated and it's going to be this way, what's to stop them? Okay, it, it, okay. Let, maybe, let me, maybe I should rephrase this, okay? They're mandating that you wear masks in certain cases, okay? That, well, that's, that's, that's what they're doing. So like Los Angeles, you can't even step out of your house and not have one. I mean, that's Looney Tunes. Like that, that's where they're at out there. Those people are crazy. The government, I mean, not the people. Didn't you say in LA that people were defecating in the streets? Before they are. Well, n- not now. They've put them all up in hotels. The city's commandeered hotels, and they put them up in hotels. And I'm not, and they deliver oh, wow. drugs and alcohol to them at taxpayer expense. I'm not joking. The rate of infection in in New York was that quite high? It was one of the higher ones, wasn't it? It's one of the higher ones. And like I said, 67 percent of the hospitalizations in New York City were people that were self isolating at home. That, that weren't yeah. positive. And then all of a sudden, but they just you, come down with it. So the lockdowns don't work. Yep. Yeah, no, well, you, you have to, I'm, I'm not trying to teach you to suck eggs because I'm sure you've considered this, but most people who, in New York live in apartment buildings, don't they? They don't live yes, in they do. private detached houses or yes. semi-detached houses. Yep. Yeah, so those those places have, have shared communal spaces, possibly even shared air conditioning in some places so yes but my it's point to much that harder was, my, my point to that was i understand the lockdown in the city but that doesn't mean you do it for the whole state oh yeah okay and, that, that and my point the, to it. outside of the city you, you have got quite large properties countryside you know forest uh-huh. mountains mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people have nice big houses with plenty of space so but how do you how do you legislate? How do you brief your police force within the state? Just in the city, this only happens in the city, and then this happens outside? Well, 
See, this is the difference. This is the difference in in the U.S. and and the EU side of things. Well, I'm not speaking all of the EU. I'm speaking, you know, the the European side of things. I'll just take it as a whole continent. But the difference here is everything here is done from the top down. The U.S., everything's done from the bottom up. So we should legislate from the locales and work our way up. That's how it works. Our system's designed to work that way. And the fact is, is that wasn't done. They inverted the whole system. Everything went from the federal level. And then Trump did what he was supposed to do. He delegated it back to the states and the states then took it upon themselves to lock everything down from the top down rather than from the bottom up. The governors, if they had any sense about themselves, instead of being politicians, they should have turned around and said, I'm going to allow each mayor to make their decision based on what's happening in their districts and be done with it. But the fact is, is that all that was ignored. No one took that into consideration. And now we're here and we've got this big mess on our hands. But my issue with the mask part of it was, and I completely forget where I was even going to go with it, but mm-hmm. my, my whole point behind it is, is that we're basing all of this, all, all of, yeah, this is what it is. My, my point with the mask and the social distancing. Now, at the same time, I, I get where you're coming from, but are we going to do this with everything now? Are we going to do this with everything with the flu? Because the flu kills more people. But of course, we wouldn't know that now because they've reclassified everything. We're basing all of this all of this, uh, th- this mask wearing and this social distancing on the on false numbers. This makes no sense. It makes no sense. And therefore, it shouldn't be a governmental body, no matter who it is. I don't care if it's a mayor, a governor, or a, or a president, or a prime minister, or whatever. No government should come out and force people to do that. Society will and can self-correct. If there's a problem, people have the ability to take it upon themselves to take the necessary steps to do what they need to do. If they feel like there's a threat to themselves, naturally, they're not going to come out of their houses. Naturally. That's what people do. If they're afraid of something, they run back into their houses. But in this case, the government's forced people into their houses. I'm afraid this is going to sound like a dreadful criticism of the the US. It's not because it happens all over the world. But we've kind of made a rod for our own backs. The example being the lady who burnt herself with McDonald's coffee and legislated uh, uh-huh. over it and, and, and won millions of dollars. This is the problem. It's now uh, legal in the UK to actually sue the royal family. The crown can be sued. So governments can be sued. And if they make a mistake and if someone dies as a result of a government mistake, and that mistake could be as simple as saying you can all go back to restaurants anytime you like, yeah? Someone will sue. Somebody, no matter how much they, they had been crying out for freedom and liberty and the, the free will to go where they want and shop where they want and eat where they want, somebody, as soon as somebody dies, somebody's thinking about getting paid. Someone's thinking about taking someone or something to court, whether it's state governor, a mayor, or the president himself. So we've all made a rod for our own backs by being litigious, and that's why our politicians are behaving, one of the reasons why they are behaving the way they're behaving. You know, one minute we've got the people like Corbyn's brother. Is his name Julian, or is it something different? Uh, I don't know. It just says Jeremy Corbyn's brother. That's all the, the article yeah, says. Yeah, it, it'll, it'll be some kind of wet, middle-class liberal name. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he's there in Hyde Park with Rent-A-Mob. That rent-a-mob a little while ago were the ones that, the same rent-a-mob that were crying out 
all the stuff on Greta Thunberg's behalf. They're now, she's an they're expert now. now. She, she's an yeah, expert. Yeah, now. She's, she's a COVID yeah. expert now. They put her on the panel. Do you see that? I didn't see that, but isn't that oh, yes. marvelous? How old? Yeah, seventeen she's a, years old. Sixteen. She's a she's a COVID nineteen expert now. She was on the she was put on the panel of experts. Yeah. So there we are. We've got rent a mob in Hyde Park. They're protesting because they've hijacked this to to gain more momentum, being the word, because that's the um, group that that drives Corbyn support. Momentum. That that's all they're doing. They're gaining. They're trying to gain votes for Labour, for the left, by standing up to whatever the government says. That's what they're doing. You've got the government who are trying to roll out a reduced set of restrictions that slowly take us back to normal life, but they're getting criticised at every turn for whatever they do because that's the political game. And quite frankly, that just makes me sick, angry and and tends to make me not want to talk about anything because it seems pointless. Uh Yeah. The thing in the news at the moment that I'm finding most enthusiasm for is the 122 countries that have joined uh, in a call for a coronavirus inquiry. And you've also got several of these countries saying we shouldn't pay our sovereign debt to China because China's latency in releasing the information uh, in you know spreading the word of how urgent and how dire a situation this was has caused so much damage to all these different countries' economy. And one of the lead countries that's doing that is Australia, which is pretty bloody rich from them, considering that they were the ones who were selling all their rare earth metals and their iron ore to China like it was going out of fashion to make a huge amount of money and thus allowing the Chinese to undercut every other country's steel industry. So I'm glad that 122 countries are standing up and saying we want a proper inquiry. I hope we get one. I'm still going to keep social distancing. And if I were symptomatic, I wouldn't leave the house anyway. But if it makes people feel more comfortable, I'm quite happy to wear a mask. That's all I've got to say on this one. All right, all right, all right, <laughs> all right. We'll we'll get off this. We, that was a that was a nice long half an hour of a. Uh, uh, let, let's jump let's jump topics because uh, I, I'm I'm sorry. I just it, it's really starting to bother me, uh, and I, I'm really at the, I'm at the end of my rope, and I know a lot of people are at the end of their rope too. I, I had a text message today from somebody from Ohio, and they're telling me right they're they're dealing with the same kind of stuff, the lockdowns and all that stuff that they won't open the state, and people want to go back to work, and they're telling me that they're thinking about packing up themselves, their kids, selling their home and going to a state where they can actually live. Like that's what people are telling me. And so we have a common problem here. I, I mean, I just I, I have to vent. And this is <laughs> this is why we created this forum, right? So we can vent and we can share yeah. our views and get it all out in the open because these are important topics that need to be talked about. And they're ignored or they're not paid attention to too much in in the uh, the mainstream media. This is the point of it. You know, we want people to have that discussion. Most, what bugs me most is the hypocrisy. And uh, we I've seen it on countless videos of large groups of police officers who are not socially distant, don't all live in the same house, approaching people in the streets who have practiced social distancing and they're told to move on and and they're encroaching on their space. But a really amusing one was, I think it was in San Diego, this pastor from a, from a church um, has obviously been told, you can't have church meetings and you can't have gatherings of no more, you know, no more than 10 people and they've got to be 
you know, spaced out inside the church and um, so on. And he walked around the block and he was outside uh, a police department and there were 25 police officers just stood in a huddle outside the door of the police department. Yeah, it's a joke. It's a joke. It, and they'll, they'll go club it, somebody over the head that's not wearing a mask. That's what's going on. Yeah, it, it's it's hypocrisy. And um, that bit's wrong. That bit upsets us. As as for the whether or not a mask is effective or ineffective, like you say, there hasn't been a study. But in surgical practices, in dental practices, even people who are doing your nails, you know, if you've been for a pedicure, which I'm sure you have, haven't you guys both been for a pedicure? No, um, no I don't do no? that. No, nope. you do. You do not know what you're missing. I've heard that. I've heard that. I, I saw the fi- I saw the fish tanks at, at one that I went to when I was down in uh, when I was down in Magaluf. Yeah. And I yeah yeah I'm not sure about that. No, well they've been proven to be quite uh, infectious. That the water inside the, uh-huh. those fish tanks okay isn't very good, and um, the idea is that the fish clean the dead skin off your feet. But then right. if they don't completely empty that water before the next person comes in, who knows what kind of fungal infections you might be passing on. Anyway, that's oh, made me feel so All right, let's, let's, jump to, let's jump to something else here. I, I want to talk to you about the uh, – because I haven't talked to you about this yet, so this will be interesting. I wanted to talk to you about the, uh, the London transport system. The UK government says they're going to pump 1.6 billion pounds into the public transport system down there to restore services and to prevent overcrowding as they start to ease these measures of, of lockdown. So as people go back to work, they're going to uh, put some more money into this uh, and and try and get this back on track here, to, <laughs> to, so to speak. London Mayor Sadiq Khan said that he expects to re- restore full bus and train services, having warned that they would be cut further without emergency state support, owing to, of course, this pandemic. But he criticized the government, which will obtain control for the period of the bailout because they're likely to increase fares to offset the losses I- incurred during the uh, the lockdowns. So I didn't realize that the public transport system was in trouble down there. It, it seems to me like you have a decent and somewhat clean public transport system. At least that's how I remember it. The actual tube stations are an awful lot cleaner, uh, more pleasant places to be in nowadays. The main time when I was using the London tube system uh, was back in the days when you could still smoke down there, and people mm-hmm. did. And it was a a really polluted atmosphere. Now, this is the only time this will ever happen. Sadiq Khan is uh, an ex, um, well, no, he's not an ex. He, he's still a practicing civil rights lawyer. He has been seen at rallies where the black ISIS flags are flying and hasn't condemned them, the people who were flying them at these rallies. So these are largely Muslim rallies. Well, they are Muslim rallies. There's no largely about it. But he's a good friend of James O'Brien. And to me, the man is you know totally the wrong person to be mayor of London. I don't like him, but I will defend him on this. He's being criticised for running out of money to fund everything for transport for London throughout this crisis. Nobody saw this crisis coming. So that I can attack him later on over something else that he might do, I will defend him on this. He does need the money. He does need the injection of government funds, and quite rightly, because they're going to have to run more trains. That means more drivers doing more shifts so that the number of people on the trains 
can be reduced down to an acceptable level so that they're not all crushed into the tube together. Because sometimes you've been on a tube, you go on a tube anywhere yeah. in the world, yeah. you're going to get crushes of people. Yeah. And, and so in this particular case, Sadiq Khan is justified in asking for the additional funds and he should get them if they're going to get London back to work, which I'm sure they will very, very soon. But it's got to be done in a safe way. Otherwise, we're back into that hypocrisy, aren't we? Um, yeah. You know, just be, just because the, the majority of people in London who are using the tube and the bus services, they're actually largely immigrant groups of people because any capital city in the world, doesn't matter where you go, the people, the indigenous people of that country don't tend to live in the capital unless they are fabulously wealthy. The people who are living there are the people doing the jobs. And because the way that mass migration has been used by them, <laughs> and by them, I mean the people who are making the most out of having inexpensive, I won't say cheap, I will say inexpensive labor forces inside capital cities. So it, it would be an hypocrisy not to give them the money so that the tubes uh, and bus routes are you know, increased and made safe for people to travel on. And it wouldn't be fair to get our, our migrant workforce to travel on an unsafe network. Well, let's hope that by them pumping that amount of money into it, I mean, that's a lot of money for a public transport system, 1.6 billion pounds. That's a lot of money. Uh, yeah, but- for them. <laughs> for them to the do, city well, makes that sort of money in a day, doesn't it? Yes, exactly, exactly. They they make all kinds of money within the day. Yeah, sure. But the thing that stood out to me during all this, uh, with, with everything, were the tube car, the the tube carriages that were. I mean, you had people packed in there like sardines. Do you remember? I mean, we talked about it here. How they cut the yeah. number of cars down and and how people were just forced in there. I mean, <laughs> you can forget social distancing. I mean, it was crazy. But the amount of people that were packed in there, and hopefully this will this will alleviate that, as you said. So um, let's uh, let's just hope for the best, right? Yeah, but on this particular occasion, I'll defend Mayor Khan, but only because I want to be totally guilt free when I can really hammer it home on what a despicable individual he is later on. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion. <laughs> um, well, you're, you're all entitled to mine as well. Yeah, <laughs> we're welcome to it. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about, I don't know if we actually talked about this. I, I remember this has been up for quite a while, uh, but we talked recently about uh, about Saudi Arabia and I wanted to talk about the crown prince over there, uh, Mohammed bin Salman. And he just recently purchased, during all this, I mean, this is the time to buy, right? If you've got money, this is the time to buy correct? I mean, that, that's what you'd think. Because market's down, this is the time to make big purchases. And you've said before that the royal family over there, certain people in the royal family are trying to do the right thing. The the true liberal progressive types are, are starting to emerge and looking to the future. With this actually bringing essentially the world to its knees. Uh, and I mean, you're talking about lots of lost revenue. We talked about that uh, the last time you were on all the all the money that's being lost just due to the pilgrimage not happening to, uh, to to Mecca now. So that money's not there. They don't have the migration anymore. The people aren't coming through spending the money traveling. But Mohammed bin Salman turned around and he bought five hundred million dollars 
in Live Nation. Live Nation, for those that don't know, is the parent company of Ticketmaster. They are the people that pretty much deal in in ticket sales worldwide for all major events. Now, right now, obviously, there's no major events going on. However, when things get back to a sense of normality or a sense of normalcy, rather, this is going to be one hell of a good investment, don't you think? Uh, Yes, I do. And Whilst I can't blame you know the Crown Prince for doing so because it seems like a really good business idea, mm-hmm. um, it just angers me a little bit that you know such individuals who are already fabulously wealthy are just make, looking to make more money out of the little guy. You know, Ticketmaster puts more money onto each ticket. Uh, I know they buy in bulk, and also you hear these stories about people. Oh. You know, my favorite band is going on tour. They're going to be at a city nearby soon. I've got to stay up all night just to get a ticket or yeah, have a chance. Or three days, three days sleeping on a sidewalk. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas organizations like Ticketmaster bulk buy and they put a premium on the tickets. So, yeah, it, it's a good business idea for the Crown Prince. But in general, I think any of these things where you add an extra person into the chain between, you know, producer, vendor, whatever, you know, manufacturer, before it gets to the actual end user. Every time you add someone else into that chain, the cost goes up. And it really does make me angry. Uh, it's like everything you buy online. If you go through certain websites, you get cash back. But where's that cash come from? It comes from the increased amount that the thing you just purchased has been at its price inflated by. If everything was just sold at a fair price from whoever's producing it to the end user, my goodness, wouldn't that make a lot of difference? Companies like Amazon, again, all the high street where, where you had an absolute diversity, you know, uh, a cornucopia of different types of shop. Nowadays, most high streets in the UK contain a couple of banks, a building society, seven charity shops, a pharmacy, and pick whichever coffee franchise you want to pick, and a couple of fast food restaurants. You can't go and buy niche items because those shops aren't there anymore. It's all been driven online or driven out of business, and it's been done by these middlemen. Amazon, top cashback, you know, all of them just absolutely... I can't say the words I want to say that describes what it does to me. But um, yeah, it, <laughs> it's uh, it's monopoly it, capitalism, isn't it? I mean, that's what it feels like. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've got lots of niche hobbies. I like tabletop wargaming, you know, and I'd like to go to a shop where I could look around, buy the bits and pieces I need to make the scenery that I do for my tabletop dioramas, buy the the paints and the, the, the toy figures and the vehicles and those kind of things. But those shops are so few and far between now. We've still got one in the town where I live. And I, even though actually it's not that good a shop, I still go in and patronize it on a fairly regular basis. Haven't been able to recently. Very good chance that after this pandemic and the restrictions recede, that business probably won't be there anymore. So, uh, you know, I, I was trying, I try to support local shops as much as possible because we're losing them so fast. I know this is a discussion about Ticketmaster, so I'll round it off by saying, yeah, well done, Crown Prince. You're going to make a killing at the same time as 
I so wish it just didn't exist. I wish companies like Ticketmaster didn't exist. You know, you mentioned something there about how companies like Ticketmaster, they bulk buy and then they add a little bit. As soon as you get one person more that's involved in that sale, then the price goes up and up and up, right? In a way, this is kind of how we ended up with value-added tax, isn't it? I mean, that's the same thing. Every time you get another person involved, that tax goes up even more. And then you as the end consumer part of it, you're the one that's stuck paying that VAT on that product you buy. It's the same concept, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to have to um, educate me a bit here because I know that VAT is an EU tax. You guys don't have VAT? Oh, we do, but we you paid do. it okay. because we were part of the EU. And I oh, believe okay. it was 17, 17%. Yeah. And it gets uh, passed on to, to the end user. Yes. So yes. Essentially, um, essentially, all the tax is worked in. It's a, it's a tax that's there, but rather than each person or rather each stage of it paying the tax, it, it doesn't matter. So essentially, I don't. Essentially, it's it's the price you see is the price you pay. So if I go into a shop and I see something that says four ninety nine, well, I'm paying four ninety nine. I'm not paying anything else other than that because the VAT is already worked into it. So that's here right, it's. Yeah. Here it's I think it's twenty one percent is what it is. I'm not sure. Or nineteen percent. It could have gone as high as twenty one. But um, so if you're a, a limited company and you're registered for VAT, anything you buy to to run your business, you can then claim the VAT back. Correct. And likewise, if you are selling, let's say you're selling bricks and you sell those bricks, although bricks might not be under VAT, but anyway, you sell that product and you put the VAT on, you then sell it to uh, a builder who pays your price. You declare that, you know, that's how much VAT was paid to you. And then eventually it gets all the way to the consumer, the, the person who owns the house where the bricks have been incorporated into. And they're the ones who actually wind up paying the 17%, 19% or 21%. So it's yeah, it's it's a tax that gets passed on and passed on. But I'm pretty sure it was an EU instigated tax. I'm glad you brought that up. You said a couple of weeks ago that we hadn't really heard much about the uh, UK and EU Brexit talks, right? Well, I've, I don't know if you yeah. I don't know if you've heard anything else about it, but something out of the Guardian popped up about a week ago, and we haven't had a chance to cover it yet because we've been tied up with all this other nonsense because we just get on one of our rants, and or mostly me, I get on my rant, and then that's just how it goes. But mm-hmm. Boris Johnson said he must extend the UK's transition out of the EU for up to two years to avoid compounding the economic damage of the pandemic with a hugely disruptive and disorderly Brexit. So you were wondering how those negotiations were going. So now you have an answer. The chair of the Bundestag's foreign affairs, right? Uh, uh-huh. The chair of the Bundestag's Foreign Affairs Committee, Norbert Rutkin, he said that I can't imagine now that this is possible, given the fact that all the EU countries, Brussels and London, are so absorbed by the pandemic that this will go on. Given the situation, I don't believe that there is a realistic possibility any longer to even achieve the necessary minimum. So you have to extend. So now they're talking about a two-year extension. I'm just letting that sink in for a minute. <laughs> You're letting that, just letting that sink in just a little bit, yeah. Yeah, well, look, actually, the opposition, the new opposition leader, Sir Keir Starmer, he's advocated advocated against a two-year extension. And I don't think, I can't be certain, but I don't think that the majority of the government want uh, any further extension. But, of course, with the pandemic and the way it's interrupted the negotiations and the discussions, there's clearly going to have to be 
uh, an, an extension of some sort. Two years. If we if we were under lockdown for two years, then then maybe a two year extension, or maybe like the rest of us, they'd find ways of getting it done online over Skype through uh, internet meetings uh, and keep it progressing. Anything that even looks like an extension, to my mind, is a betrayal of more than half of the UK voting people. Mm-hmm. So 17.4 million people said we want to leave the European Union. Any extension now beyond reasonable amounts, reasonable period of time, three or four months, for instance, to my mind is, is a betrayal and it will cost the Conservative Party dearly at the polls come the next election. Labour, under Keir Starmer, will be driving for that election as soon as possible, as soon as they get the sniff of that, because finally they've got a leader. Uh, and I don't, I'm, I'm not saying I like the man. Uh, he's another bloody lawyer, another uh, barrister, and you just can't trust them. Anyway, he's not for an extension, and the Labour Party, under his leadership, will drive for that earliest possible election as soon as they get a sniff of of an extension of two years. And all the people who were voting Brexit Party, all the people who were voting UKIP and, you know, voted for the Tories to get Boris in to get it done, they'll vote for whoever says they will get it done. It's that simple. So you know, it would be shooting yourself in the foot. He, Boris would be shooting himself in the foot to go for a two-year extension. Yeah, and the thing is, is you, you voted for... I remember the first referendum, right? I remember the first one. And it was just the one that Cameron put forth. I mean, that, that's what it was, where he was he was stupid enough to do that. And he, he did it, and it, it just <laughs> it backfired. But that happened, okay? Then it, it was a long process of legal tie-ups and how's this going to work and a media frenzy. It was just crazy. And finally, along comes Boris Johnson. He sees an opportunity here. He ran on three simple words, get it done, right? As you said, three simple words, gain traction. People wanted it. But the idea was was to tie it up in legal jargon and uh, get all these lawyers involved and get all these bureaucrats involved and get all these unelected people involved, these unelected politicians in Brussels involved, get them all involved, get them all on these media networks. So people just get agitated and just say, you know what, forget it, right? One generation goes by, eh, you know, oh, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll stay in it, right? That was the idea. It was the it was the attrition, right? It was the war of attrition, and they lost. And essentially, Labor lost as well. Now you say they're looking to capitalize with Keir Starmer. So do you say Sir Keir Starmer? Sorry, I, I have to pronounce yeah. it Sir if I'm going to be right about it. He, he is but the knight of the realm. Yes, he is. Okay, all right. So Sir Keir Starmer is now saying that this is going to happen. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the Labor MPs are pro Remain, are they not? Or were rather? No. A lot of the Soros-coached and groomed young MPs were um, because what they wanted was that continued freedom of movement to bring in those EU nationals to do our mm-hmm. whatever job. But by and large, it's it's not all about professionally qualified people. They want, just like in the States where they're letting the borders flood across from the South and and you don't have your vote. What, what did you call them? The, the the voting checks and measures to make sure that the individuals 
Voter ID laws. laws. Yes. But in the UK, of course, under freedom of movement, someone would come here, register for work or have a job, start paying taxes. They're immediately entitled to vote. So as long as they're registered within the country as an EU national, um, and you know, that's how it was. So those younger, and I'm going to say it, Soros groomed uh, MPs, they were the ones that were all for staying in the EU, particularly the Liberal Party, some of the younger Labour Party, but the majority of the Labour Party, more mature MPs, their constituents, at the very least, were strongly leave. Many of them were strong uh, leave voters because they they just they saw Brexit not only as a protest against the undemocratic and bureaucratic European Union, but they saw it as a protest vote against Westminster. And I've said this countless times. They just wanted to give the government and all of our MPs a slap around the face to wake them up and realise that the real power still stays with inside the people's hand. And it was 52% to 48% in the in the referendum, but that's still a majority, whichever way you look at it. So no, not all of Labour was Remain. A high proportion of Labour were Leave, but whether or not the reasons for them wanting to vote Leave was because of any real disdain for the EU or whether it was just to give the Tories a slap around the face. So you're basically saying that if it were to come down to a two-year extension, obviously that would be the end of Boris Johnson. So uh, you're saying that that vote would then swing back the other way and it would go to Labour. And you mentioned there briefly UKIP and the Brexit party. What would be the status of them? Because they've, they're the ones that, that, you know, Nigel Farage and the UKIP guys, they're the ones that got this started in the beginning initially anyway. So uh, yeah. what, would, what would happen with them? Or, or would people abandon Labour and the Tories and then go for one of uh, these parties like UKIP or, or the Brexit party? For the country, that would probably be the best result which would get more independent or rather than your polarised Labour Conservative MPs, the more independents or smaller party MPs, the better. But of course, then we'd wind up with a situation that we had before, which would be the hung parliament, where it's been going on in the UK, UK for quite some time. And finally, on the result of this last election, Boris has gained a significant, I mean, a really useful majority. So to say that, you know, he he could be wiped out by a two-year extension probably isn't true. He'd probably get away with it, but he would have a much reduced majority come the next election. He wouldn't have the, I can't even remember how many it is, but I think he's got 60, he's safe by 60 seats. So in in a parliament of, of 600, he's got about 60 more votes than the opposition can muster at any any given time and that that includes the independents as well so just about any proposal he wants to get through he can get through he will lose that majority if he does the uh, if he goes for the two year extension come the next election i'm pretty certain of that if I do recall, uh, and I'm going by uh, what happened that night of, of the general election, and it, I, if I recall, the conservatives got 368, I think was the number. I think that was the final number of seats. So they didn't okay. need yeah. the uh, co- they didn't need for the coalition. They had a majority at that point, so it didn't matter. But other parties, such as uh, the 
S and P. Obviously, they were. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what. I'm not sure what they want. Do they want to stay in? But they don't. I mean, Scotland says that they want to stay in the EU, but then they they have a nationalist party that says that they're for independence. I, I don't understand right. where where they're okay. coming from. Let, but let me let me let, let me clear that one up for you. Then. Okay. This is, in, this is in my opinion. Scotland votes Scottish Nationalist Party the same way that English uh, constituencies vote for a Labour council, but will vote for a Tory MP. By having a Labour council, it spends the money that it's given to them from central government more on public services. Tory councils tend to be more tightwadish and don't spend that sort of money. So Scotland votes SNP because Nicola Sturgeon uh, and her predecessor, Salmon, you know, stopped tuition fees for university students. Mm -hmm. They stopped prescription charges. There's loads of other things that Scotland get that the rest of the UK don't because their devolved government, their Scottish parliament run by the SNP, is spending the money as as fast as it comes in. So Nicola Sturgeon is buying the votes, but if it came to another referendum about Scotland leaving the United Kingdom and breaking up the union, I am fairly sure it would fall the same way as it did last time, which was a resounding no, we want to stay in. So that's why the SNP do well, because the, the Scots know that by having a, a Scottish nationalist majority in their parliament, the taxpayers' money will be spent on public services and those kind of free things, just in the same way as Corbyn's free Wi-Fi and the other bits and pieces and uh, a living wage of £15 an hour or whatever it was. All of those uh, policies that would have bankrupt the country, well, maybe the Wi-Fi wouldn't, but you know, just about everything else that the Labour Party were putting forward at the time of the the last general election were country-crippling policies. So yeah, that's why they vote SNP in Scotland, because the SNP spends the money rather than balancing the books. But you're you're right about the uh, the free Wi-Fi, although I think he probably would have given the government contract to Huawei, which I think they're in a little bit of trouble at the moment. So they're Um, probably... uh, Yeah, they're probably not going to get that contract, but I think we can call that one done. But I appreciate you taking the time to be here today, uh, Marty. Thank you for coming in. And we're going to be... Yeah, we're we're going to be, uh, you know how it is, man. You know, the, you can come on here more often. You know, you can come on here two, three days a week if you want. But uh, we're working on, you haven't got the energy. <laughs> we're working on a side project. And I think we're going to have you on, you and I can talk about that on the side because we're, we're going to do, uh, we're going to do a very interesting topic, but that's not going to be available here. We're going to do it somewhere else. And we'll announce to everybody what that's going to be when it's ready. And it's going to be coming very soon within the next week or so. So we'll be, we'll be looking forward to that. But the next time you're on, Marty, I want to discuss a very interesting place that you have in the UK that I know a lot of people that listen, they want to hear about it. So we're going to discuss Stonehenge because there's a lot of historical, a lot of historical stuff there. So uh, I, I want to uh, I want to get into that. But anyway, okay. I'm glad we actually ended on a positive note. It was refreshing to talk about Brexit. I hope you don't get the two year extension. <laughs> I hope you can actually just get out because that's what you voted for twice. I might add. So um, I hope that uh, I hope that you got, you can come to an agreement. I hope that there's not a two year extension. I hope you can sort out your public transport issues in London, and hopefully let's uh, let's try and move past this um, 
this COVID stuff, man. I'm just, I'm so sick of it. I'm done with it. And you know something? The average listener out there that's listening to us, they're done with it too. I know that they are. Otherwise, they wouldn't sit here and listen to us ramble about it. The only thing that we're trying to accomplish here is we're trying to talk sense. That's it. Common sense. Logical solutions with some reason behind it. The stuff that we're getting on television and in the mainstream media has none of those things. We're getting hysteria. We're getting uh, nonsense. We're getting lies and we're getting deceit. That's all we're getting. They keep shouting all day, every day about science-based, science-based, science-based. I'm all about science-based. That's what I want to see. I want to see science-based, but they're not giving it to us. They're just espousing it, backed up by nothing. You know, I'm on board with the science-based. I would like to see that. But anyway, anything else you'd like to cover today? No, I'm good, my friend. I hope you are too, Bruce. I am. Yes. <laughs> we monopolized the time again. We, we monopolized yeah. the time again. Well, okay. you know where you can find me tomorrow. Oh, uh, yes, I know exactly place. where. Yeah, I know exactly where to yeah. find you tomorrow. Yeah, I will. I'll tell you what, I will actually, I'll call you tomorrow and we'll see if we can just set something up. Uh, over over a phone call, uh, and we'll go from okay. there because another step was made today. Uh, I got another thing knocked out of the knocked out of the way, so we should be ready to go sometime within within a week. So maybe we can lay it down sometime this week. But anyway, Marty Bruce, thank you for being here today, and from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you, and we love freedom and independence, and together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So we'll see all of you tomorrow. <laughs>